the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program was recorded for broadcast at this time. Welcome to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. And this is my time. Keep it here as Roger talks about local and national issues important to you. Talking with the leaders and newsmakers in our community. And now, here's Roger. Welcome to the Roger Franklin Williams Show, the program that's dedicated to protecting, preserving, and defending America's founding traditions of God, family, country. Friends, it's great to have you joining us today on this program presented by Christner's Prime Steak and Lobster. It's another edition of our Roger Franklin Williams Show Election 2022 series, and we have actually four candidates to share with you today. We'll go start with our first candidate, Christine Moore, currently an Orange County Commissioner and running for re-election. Before we go to Christine, though, I want to give a shout out to the guys up at Apopka Mower and Equipment Repair and let you know that they've got everything that you'll need for all of your lawn and garden needs this summer, as well as everything you'll need for hurricane preparation at Apopka Mower and Equipment Repair. You can find out more at apopkamower.com. That's apopkamower.com. Now let's go to Christine Moore, current Orange County Commissioner and candidate for re-election in Orange County. Hello, Christine. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Roger. It's great to be here today. And your your advertiser, I actually, when he opened a new shop, um, the approval came through Orange County. So we're really happy that they're doing well. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's a beautiful, uh, relatively new uh, shop up um, on North 441 on the north side of Apopka, and uh, it's uh, it's, a, it's just a wonderful, it's a great place with a lot of great uh, great service. Thanks for acknowledging. Love to see the small business people. You know, it's what's so neat about Apopka is the history, and that it, it's not a town of just big chains. You know, there are local uh, purveyors and owners, and and um, this town's had a history of trying to support them. Absolutely. Just good old uh, local, local friendly personal service. Absolutely. And speaking of, uh, you know, service, you know, you are, you've, you know, not, as I mentioned, you know, you're serving as the, our Orange County Commissioner in your first term seeking re-election, but, you know, you served as our um, Orange County School Board member uh, for quite a while as well. And, and can you um, just, before I want to talk about one of the, the specific issues, huge issues, the rent control, but before we do that, can you just talk about um, you know, your time as, as an elected official serving the citizens? Yeah, absolutely. People you know, ask me about those two uh, being together, being the school board member and helping to rebuild just about every school in Apopka. Um, and, and as you get into the rebuilding of schools and helping to educate particularly the little ones, you realize that that's kind of a window into that you know, little community. And if, if that area is thriving, you'll see it in the children. If they're struggling, you'll see it in the children. And so at a certain point when this county commission seat opened up in 2018, uh, I had been working with the children for, for 10 years and had a real heart to go back 
and work on a neighborhood-by-neighborhood level because it always, to me, was the chicken or the egg. Does that elementary school create the quality of that area, or is it the neighborhoods that create the quality of the school? And, and so now that I've had the, the honor to serve in both capacities, you realize it's both, right? I mean, you've got to have quality schools, and your family was involved in education for years. And you also have to have neighborhoods working together. So one of the, the jobs of a commissioner is we have neighborhood services, and they provide grants, uh, training, um, all kinds of programs, and I've really elevated that with strategic planning, training neighborhood leaders, whether it's an HOA or not, doing cleanups, and and uh, they're really special people. Somebody who would step up and not just take care of their own home and their own family, maybe their neighborhood or the corridor or the whole community, you know, that's really a step above. You have to get outside of yourself and, and consider people's needs, and it's not just real estate-based. It could be because the county deals with safety net programs and whatnot. So um, one of the biggest problems and challenges we're having all over this country, particularly here, and you mentioned it, was the high cost of housing. And uh, we're seeing that uh, countrywide because of after 2008-9 and the Great Recession, we ran out of business a lot of our smaller home builders. And so we're mainly seeing these big guys, and, and uh, that's more difficult, you know, to get into smaller parcels. And what we see in trying to get more affordable housing is those duplexes, the triplexes, um, accessory dwelling units. Like I have a big lot and might have to move my mom in someday. And so we did change some rules so it's a little bit easier to put an accessory dwelling unit if you have a large lot. And so with the 700,000 people we're expecting between, which is, isn't that frightening, Roger? 700,000 more people in Orange County by 2050. And so there's just a tremendous amount of work that's going on with planning, trying to have transit up through Apopka, that Orange Blossom Express, more bus routes, all those kinds of things. And so we, we if we're going to preserve some of our rural, I'd like to preserve as much as possible, we're going to preserve some of the suburbs then and these urban infill, particularly the areas around transit, we have to go up, and it's just a challenge. It's probably the biggest challenge we're facing. So a couple members of my uh, board down there wanted to freeze rent, which I don't su support at all because I think it leads to all kinds of unintended consequences, and, and we certainly don't need to drive any builders or multifamily people out of this area because, you know, we actually need the housing, and so... I think there's better ways of potentially lowering the taxes, the millage rate. Um, hiring more people in our development department would help. So I've, I've been talking long enough. I, I have to tell your your uh, listeners I'm also a working grandmother, so they might hear a little one <laughs> possibly <laughs> during this interview. But anyway, um, it's a real challenge to find housing for all of these folks. Well, that's what I call multitasking at a, at a very high level <laughs> and an important <laughs> level. You know, thanks for giving us some insight there. I, I do know that uh, for most of our listeners, uh, we, we, def we definitely um, oppose the rent controls for a lot of reasons, you know, one of which, um, from my perspective, based on you know, what I've observed and 
no, historically, it just never it never works for one thing, but it's also an infringement on property rights, and as you mentioned, all kinds of a a, a, a large bag of of, of negative uh, consequences. Um, and Christine, can you talk about you know um, any you know is there any is there more about the the rent control situation you'd like to share? Well, we did pass one thing, which I think is just fairness, and that was just Tuesday, uh, and it was notification. So, um, you know, if a, if, if a landlord is wishing to raise the rent uh, more than 5%, we did pass an ordinance that they'll have to notify the tenant uh, 60 days out. I mean, I think most do that. That's just a, a general practice, but it's the right thing to do. And so that went through. But now we will be having a public hearing, and I believe it will be August 9th, if they can get ready or potentially two weeks after that, with all the rent control measures. And it's a very narrow um, uh, passage uh, way to, to, to even get this through because the legislature back in 1977 uh, preempted Miami Beach who was trying to do rent control. And so there's a whole lot of things legally you have to prove. It's an emergency. Um, you know, there's a certain level range of houses that you could do. And, and so... Um, we, we were, were prohibited from going as far as some of the, the more liberal folks wanted because of that preemption bill. And I, I, I made my speech that night, Roger, and said, listen, you know, I know people are, are, are struggling. You know, I get that. I have family members, too, in these kinds of issues. But um, maybe instead of spending all the money on uh, lawyers and dealing with the court and then the preemption, maybe some of that money could go instead into the fund we were doing rent control during the pandemic and helping people. Maybe we should go that route. But we know that the big solution, you know this better than anybody, more supply. We have to focus on the supply, and we're just not keeping up at all. And I know to our long-term folks who've lived here forever, that's frightening too, you know. So it's just a difficult thing. Where can we put it where the, the long-term people who lived here when it was a nice farming community with indoor foliage capital of the world and yet find room for these people won't stop coming. And I'll tell you, knock on the doors campaigning, they are coming from everywhere. I mean, I don't go into a new neighborhood and not hear California, New York, Ohio, you know, Pennsylvania, Illinois. I mean, they're from everywhere coming here. You know, that, that's a great point. We, we had about two minutes left. appreciate you spending some time with us. And why don't you share you know, just broad the broad geographical area of your district uh, so, so that our listeners that live in your district will, will know, you know, um, you know that, that you're you know, right. on the ballot. Well, that's right. right I've got 238,000 people from up the Lake County line up towards Mount Dora, Tangerine, and, and, and encompasses all of Zellwood and Plymouth and Apopka, South Apopka, Lakiva Springs. Keep going south. I have uh, Lockhart, a little bit of the Lee Road, a little bit of College Park. Um, in Pine Hills, I have north of Silver Star. Excuse me. And after redistricting, I ended up with every little bit of Ocoee. And I'm so grateful for the municipalities because in a municipality, the water, the sewer, the garbage, all those development types of things are handled by the city. So even though we handle mosquito control, animal control, convention center jail, those kinds of things, safety net services, but when you get into an unincorporated area, 
then I have all the same responsibilities of the city. So it's a big, big job, and you have to have knowledge and study a, a whole range of subjects, but I'm just so grateful for the folks who've elected me, and I love doing the job for them. Now, I'll just uh, echo briefly before we uh, go to break what you said. It's a very important job. Orange County Commissioner uh, is a huge, uh, very important job. You've got four years of experience at it. And as you said, it's uh, almost a quarter of a million people that uh, you're serving um, there. And you will be on the ballot. Christine Moore will be on the ballot on Tuesday, August the 23rd. Uh, and you, friends, you know the, the district. She just shared the, the geographical area with you. Well, well, thank you, Christine. It's always great catching up with you. Thank, and thank you for giving us great insights. Thank you for the opportunity, Roger. Yeah, best wishes. All right, bye-bye. Friends, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue with our edition of another edition of the Roger Franklin Williams Show 2022 election series. And we'll have several more candidates on our show today. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Good to have you here for the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Welcome back to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Friends, it's great to be with you on a wonderful Sunday afternoon, hot Sunday afternoon. But as we have another edition of the Roger Franklin Williams Show Election 2022 series, we have four candidates joining us today. And right now, we're pleased to be joined by Eric Swank. He's a candidate for county judge in Seminole County, Seminole County judge. And let's go to Eric Swank right now. Hello, Eric. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Roger. How are you? Thank you for having me. Doing well. You know, it's always an exciting time, election season. And I always, uh, you know, um, admire every candidate that that puts himself forth, uh, uh, you know, to go through that grueling process. So, um, and you're seeking the position of Seminole County judge. Can you, first of all, just start and, and share with us, you know, why you've um, chosen to, to seek this position? Absolutely. So, uh, this is a position that I, I feel I'm being called, uh, to serve in, uh, uh, really it's based on my professional experience and personal experience. Uh, a number of years I've gotten more and more involved in a community and I'm always looking for ways to maximize that service and, and under some um, years of reflection, uh, based on that professional and, and personal experience, uh, you know, it just felt like the judiciary is where I could maximize that service, where I could have the largest impact our community, and uh, specifically in the county court. Uh, you know, as a hearing officer, we preside over a largely pro se docket, and of course that's where our people's court is in the county court, and uh, the people's court is where people who normally don't, expect to find themselves in court, do find themselves in court, and oftentimes don't have attorneys for uh, for the claims that are bringing them there. And it takes a special type of judge to preside over those, someone with a lot of patience. And that's the experience that I have. And uh, a lot of the, uh, the personal experience that I have dealing with some life challenges myself that I've been able to overcome is what allows me to understand those issues that people will be facing as they come in, in front of us, in front of me in the courts, and to, to address those issues as well. And can you talk, tell us a little bit about, I know you're an attorney practicing in Seminole County, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about, would you like to share a little bit about, about your practice? Sure, absolutely. So I ran my own practice in Central Florida for a number of years, uh, all through Seminole County, Orange, Osceola, Brevard, Volusia, and Lake Counties, uh, uh, conducting hearings and trying, trials in both circuit and county court regarding foreclosures and creditors' rights. 
Uh, the last year of my practice, I was a volunteer attorney with the Ninth Circuit State Attorney's Office. I was actually pursuing a career there uh, based on my experience uh, going through the Law Enforcement Academy as well. Um, uh, I ended up getting a job with my current office before that happened, and I've been at the Office of Appeal Hearings for the past five years, presiding over administrative cases on behalf of the state of Florida uh, regarding public assistance. So we, we have a very similar rules of procedure, actually identical rules of procedure, an evidence code that our county courts use. Uh, we've got similar dockets, as I was mentioning, uh, where we preside over a largely pro se docket where people aren't represented by counsel, they're representing themselves. And having that experience to be able to manage party emotions when emotions are high, you know, people don't come in on the best day of their lives, you know, things are not going well. Uh, and there's, without having attorneys there to kind of guide the uh, guide their clients, uh, it's, it's charged for, with the judges to be able to manage those party emotions and inform them of the rules of procedure and uh, and how to how to move forward with a formal procedure such as a hearing or case. So um, that's what I've been doing for five years, three years as a hearing officer and two and a half years as a supervisor, supervising five other hearing officers. We're speaking with Eric Swank. He's a candidate for Seminole County judge. You will be on the ballot in the August 23rd election, and you're listening to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. And can you... Tell us a little bit about, you know, what led you to to become an attorney. I know you've been speaking with various attorneys, various candidate for, candidates for judge, various judges. It seems like everybody's got a different path to becoming an attorney. Could you share a little bit about what, what you know, led you or motivated you to want to, want to you know, be a lawyer? Sure, absolutely. So my, my path was um, a winding road. Uh, you know, I, I went to law school initially with the intention of building a real estate investment partnership. I really had no intention of practicing law at the beginning. Um, and when I graduated, I got into real estate uh, in around 2007. So the uh, market, of course, was not the, the best market to be getting into at that time. And after a few years, I uh, ended up looking at a change in career and started pursuing law enforcement. My dad was a police officer for 28 years at the city of Orlando. Uh, where I grew up, my family has uh, been in Central Florida and Greater Orlando for 75 years, and uh, went through the law enforcement academy and, and was pursuing that. And uh, ultimately, when we had uh, uh, got pregnant with my son, uh, my son, my wife was pregnant, started looking at that career cho- change, and, and the practice of law was a natural step um, at that point. You know, be able to utilize the legal background that I had from law enforcement and apply that. Uh, professionally, and, and it's one of the reasons that gravitated me to the state attorney's office at that time. And can you share with us, I know that uh, you're active in, in some various active areas of the community. Is uh, Would you like to share any of your uh, you know, relevant community service? Absolutely. Uh, I maintain very heavy involvement in our community. I think it's the best way to allow myself to stay in touch with our community issues as well, and that probably more importantly, are community resources that are available to address those issues. Um, I'm fortunate enough now to be the vice president of Heroes Strong, which is one of our local nonprofit organizations. I'm on the board of trustees of the Central Florida Zoo, a member of a number of chambers of commerce, uh, Rotary Club of Lake Mary. Um, but that that path started a number of years ago. I actually battled alcoholism for 15 years, and it's through my sobriety and helping other people that that service to community really started. And uh, at first, I just got involved in our legal community. Since the issue is a prevalent one in our legal community, I wanted people to know that I had gone through it and that I'm there. 
because there's not a lot of avenues. A lot of a lot of our attorneys are are you know second guess about asking for help. You know because of what it, uh, a fear of how it would help, affect their own business. Um, so I wanted to let them know that I was there, and ultimately I started to get involved in the non legal communities uh, for the same purpose, and didn't realize that there's a lot more issues out there than just uh, substance abuse. We have mental health issues, homeless. Uh, communities that have issues themselves, um, and, you know, just continued to find ways to serve and get involved. And ultimately, it was that involvement that really made me uh, think about how I could, you know, my purpose in being of service and and what led me to the judiciary. You know, again, believing that that's where I can have the largest impact on our community. We're speaking with Eric Swank. He's a candidate for Seminole County Judge. And you, you you mentioned it, touched on it briefly before, but could you share a little bit more about, say, the the, the role specifically of, of the county judge, and you know how that differs from from other other judgeships? Absolutely. The biggest question that I get, you know, is the difference between circuit court and county court. So we we preside in the the office that I'm running for is in the 18th circuit, which is Seminole County and Brevard County, and then each one of those counties has its own county court. And the big difference between circuit and county is really just threshold. They both deal with civil cases, and they both deal with criminal cases. Uh, but circuit court deals with civil cases over $30,000 and deals with criminal felonies. Um, you know, I'm speaking generally right now. Um, county court is civil cases up to and including that $30,000 threshold and criminal misdemeanors. Uh, so it's a lo- lower-level court. Um, some of those uh, decisions are appealable. To the, uh, to the circuit. So the circuit's considered the higher court. Um, the county court also has, as I mentioned earlier, the small claims court, which is also known as the people's court. It's called the people's court because uh, those are cases that are under up to and including $8,000, so they're uh, what are considered small claims. And it's where people are just looking for their day in court to uh, resolve an issue that they have with maybe an unpaid credit card bill or medical bill or a dispute with a neighbor. And, uh, you know, again, oftentimes those uh, those cases don't rise to a level that would justify hiring an attorney. So people are representing themselves. And, again, why it's really known as the people's court. You know, people are, people are there for um, the normal everyday issues that, um, that confront the people of our community and they're representing themselves. And you're listening to the Roger Frank and Williams Show. Right now we're speaking with Eric Swank. He's a candidate for Seminole County Judge. Well, Eric, we've got probably time for one more question, and I would just uh, just throw that to you to say what else uh, would you like to share with um, you know, the, the people today, our listeners today? Absolutely. So I appreciate everybody listening. Seminole County is near and dear to my heart. As I mentioned, my family's lived in uh, Greater Orlando College Park specifically for 75 years in downtown Orlando, and we've moved out to Seminole County uh, about 30, in mid-80s, about 35 years ago. So we've got a lot of roots in greater Orlando. Uh, Seminole County is where my wife and I have made homes since 2008. And just looking for that next level of service to our community, and I hope for your vote on or before August 23rd. Thank you for joining us today on the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Thank you so much for having me. Eric Swank. Well, friends, we're going to go to break in just a moment. Before and When we come back, we'll hear from two more candidates on the program today. Right now, we're I'm going to share with you a little bit about our friends over at Sheeler Auto Repair and let you, I want to let you know about them because 
they're a place where you, if you are searching for a place that will care for your car, truck, SUV, any other vehicle you might own, with old school honesty, integrity, and dependability, Sheeler Auto Repair is the place for you. No job is too big or too small for the guys at Sheeler Auto Repair. You can trust the guys at Sheeler Auto Repair. In fact, that's where I take my car. I've been taking it there for over 20 years. They're located 1908 South Orange Blossom Trail, Apopka. Please let them know Roger Franklin Williams sent you. Friends, please stay with us. We'll be right back on the Roger Franklin Williams Show in today's edition of the Roger Franklin Williams Show 2022 Election Series. Welcome to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. And now, here's Roger. And this is my turn. Welcome back to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. And friends, it's great to have you joining us at this important time of the year. Of course, elections are always important, um, but I know many of you feel the way I do that this particular election is literally, why well, I think it's the most important of my lifetime from a national perspective. But anyway, uh, all of the elections are important, state, local, and national, and there are a lot of candidates, which I love to see. And, of course, the primary election, when most of those candidates will be on the ballot, uh, is coming up on August the 23rd. I want to thank you for joining us on another edition of the Roger Franklin Williams Show 2022 election series presented by Christner's Prime Steak and Lobster. Uh, also, before we go to our next guest, who will be Scott Sturgill, who's a candidate for one of the most important uh, in one of the most important elections, um, not only in regards to our Central Florida community, but the nation. He's running for the United States Congress in Congressional District 7, and we'll talk to him more specifically about that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Miller's Sod Sales. Of course, they're your family-owned sod sales business, and since they've been in business since 1995, let Miller's green up your life. And you can find out more about Miller Sod Sales at John Miller Trucking and Sodsales.com. That's John Miller Trucking and Sodsales.com. And they're located 934 South Orange Blossom Trail, Apopka, right there on Highway 441. Let's go to our next candidate. And speaking of important elections, not only is the election that he is um, involved in, a candidate um, in, is one of the most watched elections in the country and that's for congressional district number seven let's go to scott sturgill right now scott thank you for joining us thank you roger how you doing today doing well doing well it's always exciting to talk uh, about this uh, this time of season and uh, this time of the year and especially when the elections are so important and we have so many enthusiastic candidates uh, seeking uh, to serve and and you know as I said before, your, your particular the district that you're particular you know, that you're a candidate in, con- United States Congress uh, District Seven, is literally one of the most interesting races, just as an observer, um, and one of the most impactful races in the country. In fact, literally um, the eyes of people all over the country are, are on this particular race. Now, one of the factors is it's a very crowded Republican primary. If I'm not mistaken, there's something like seven candidates seeking the Republican nomination. Why don't you pick it up there and share a little bit about the geographic geography of the, of the district and, and some of the nuts and bolts? So there's actually eight of us candidates. <clears throat> now, I'm the only candidate, um, again, my name being Scott Sturgill, who is 
the only candidate who's actually born and raised in the district. I'm operating my company here, and my kids go to school here in the public school system. So the only one who actually has kids in the public school system. But Congressional District 7, which covers all of Seminole County, and about three-quarters of Volusia County, so we go all the way up to Port Orange, Daytona Beach Shores, and everything south minus the land. So it is one of the most important districts in the country um, for a take-back seat, because it, it also covers the coveted I-4 corridor, so a good portion of the coveted I-4 corridor so that everyone will be watching in 24. So we obviously, as Republicans, want to make sure that we have control in this district, and with redistricting, it has now swung to about a plus three Republican district. So the, the current member of Congress uh, has decided to retire and not seek re-election once she lost her uh, Democrat stronghold of downtown Orlando. And so it is an opportunity to certainly take back this seat. But, uh, you know, we've primary. We got a, uh, I got three opponents from Washington, D.C. trying to parachute in here. I got another opponent from about a, a good hour away trying to parachute in here, but they don't really understand the the issues of the district because it, the issues in Alphonse Springs are a lot different than the issues in Edgewater and Oak Hill and New Smyrna Beach. So we need a, a candidate who does not want to make this a career. Um, I'm a big believer in term limits. For me, three to four terms and then I'm done. The next person can take over at that point. But we need, we need um, representatives in Congress who actually can control the spending. We need more adults in the room. Um, we have too many children on both sides of the aisle who, again, cannot control the spending. This country is $32 trillion in debt, which means that's $80,000 for every man, woman, and child um, that we're on the hook for at this point. So we need folks who are actually going to vote on, again, what's best for America, not their next election. You're listening to The Roger Frank and Williams Show. Right now we're speaking with Scott Sturgill. He's a candidate for United States Congress, candidate for the Republican nomination. He's in a primary. Election day is August 23rd. And as we've said before, it's one of the most exciting and closely watched races, not only in Florida, but in the country for a variety of different reasons. Eight Republican candidates seeking that nomination. And Scott, I'd like to pick up on you know, one of the things that you just you, you mentioned is you know the fact that you made the point that you're the only, if you will, homegrown um, candidate in, in the race. And can you talk about, um, you know, from your perspective, you know, what some of the issues are? Because I mean, obviously, with um, I suspect, I mean, we'll see. Um, candidates come in from Washington D.C. and you know other areas around the country to to to, 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 to try to get capture the seat. I suspect that they'll have us, uh, you know their own, I guess, boilerplate type of type of issues, their consultants will or whatever. But you know, from your perspective as a guy that, that lives and grew up in the district, what, what do you think are things important to the people? Well, certainly the, the number one issue we face when we talk to voters at the doors or, or no matter where we're at is obviously it's the economy. It's gas prices. It's the rising cost of housing. Um, again, filling up your gas tank, going to the grocery store. Everything you buy is is up significantly, and people are hurting. That's a, that's taking a lot of their disposable income away just to pay for the, the bare necessities. Now, we've got an opportunity, obviously, with we have enough resources here in America, you know, to be energy independent. You know, if we would just re-ignite um, the Keystone Pipeline and start drilling in the Gulf of Mexico again, we could drop the price of oil down overnight because the oil that's pumped, we 
don't see it at gas pumps for, until about three months from now, you know, by the time it gets re- refined and transported and everything like that to your local gas station. So, again, the energy crisis is the biggest issue with inflation. Obviously, people are worried about their personal security and the security of America right now. Um, you know, Second Amendment is a huge issue. I'm a big supporter of the Second Amendment. You know, I'm also a big supporter of law enforcement. I want to make sure that law enforcement has every tool they need so that when we all lay down at night and go to sleep, you know, we've got, uh, we know we're protected and we know our families and our properties are protected. You know, so those are some of the biggest issues, obviously, the southern border and then putting education with putting parents and teachers back in charge of the school system. But, you know, you know what separates myself from my other opponents is Central Florida has a, you know, we need, we've got a lot of redevelopment and growth that is going on here. And we need to make sure that we're doing it smartly. We need to make sure that from a federal level we're getting money for our roads and our infrastructure so that we can, you know, that our areas can handle the growth and development that has been coming through um, to Central Florida and to Florida in general because of our great Governor Ron DeSantis, who has made us the freest state in the nation through the COVID pandemic. But then if you look into Southeast Volusia, which is part of the district with New Smyrna, Edgewater, and Oak Hill, we got to make sure that we're protecting Mosquito Lagoon and the and the intercoastal waterway. You know, that is a big area where a lot of people make their money and make their living over there. So we got to make sure that we're bringing in the federal funds to help clean up um, the lagoon and making sure that the nitrogen and all the other issues that happen in the lagoon, you know, are being taken care of. Now, th- thank you for, for your insights and, and giving us um, you know, insight into what you're hearing out there and, and what you're hearing when you're talking with your constituents. One thing I'll... Um, just add to what you said, um, you, know, you know, a lot of, lot of meat there in what you said, but for me, I agree with you about the number one issue being the, the oil production. You know, I mean, I think that's one thing that, you know, if, if I were advising candidates, that would be the, the issue I think that I would encourage them most to, to, to talk about because I'm not sure if all the citizens know that, you know, there's a lot of oil, untapped oil right here in America. You know, we, you know, then the, the, the Democrat administration um, and all across the board, do, for whatever their reasons, and I, I suspect what some of those reasons are, um, which is another topic for another day, but uh, for whatever reason, do not want to, um, you know, drill for oil and, or, or utilize the resources that, that, are, that, are, that are so easily um, attainable for us. And that's, you know, led directly to this situation that we have right now with $4 gas prices and, 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 and things like that. So anyway... Um, yeah, I just uh, wanted to make that point. I think you're right on target with with that particular issue, and I do think it's an issue that that virtually every citizen um, you know, is, is important uh, finds important, uh, especially the Republicans. But you know, we're down to about our last couple minutes, and I'd just love to have you share, w- w- share anything you want to. But um, you know, anything you'd like to share about your personal background or your your life away from politics? Sure, sure. Yeah, so my life away from politics. So I'm the proud father of two teenage daughters who. Uh, single-handedly keep this economy going every day with their Amazon and Target purchases. So, uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they, they do their part to keep the economy going. The you know, problem is, is I get their credit card bill at the end of the month, which is something, so, you know, <laughs> a little shocking. But, uh, you know, in the you know in my day job is I built a company called Durable Safety Products, which is based in Stanford. So we started off from a, a small mom-and-pop operation to now we're, our products are now sold in 48 states um, through about 800 different distributors. Um, now, 
sell our product. And it's, it's something that we built from the ground up. You know, I'm very proud of our accomplishment. Um, something that we've done in a matter of 12 years. So, you know, that's what we need in Congress. We need people who have already had success, who do not want to make this a career, who are willing to get their hands dirty and roll up their sleeves and make decisions that are in the best interest of America and all Americans. Not and not worry about your next election. I'm a big believer that if you do the right thing and you do your job good, the rest kind of takes care of itself at that point. But we have too many politicians in Washington who are more worried about their next TV appearance than they are actually about getting policy done or, or doing deregulation. Um, because Americans are hurting, and we're hurting a lot because of the bad choices that have been made by Washington politicians. You know, again, we've got a lot of children on both sides of the aisle in Washington. We do not have a whole lot of adults, and that's what we need more. You know, we need adults who are going to control the spending, protect our borders, be involved in the education system, support our law enforcement. You know, one thing with law enforcement, we have enough laws on the book, but we need to back our men and women in the blue and let them enforce the laws that are already on the book. And then, again, we've got to tackle this this economy with the inflation. So, you know, President Biden says we're not in a recession, but I got to tell you, Roger, we're definitely in a recession at this point. And, you know, with, and it's, this economy is going to come to a, you know, to a halt. And again, we've got to have some adults who understand the economics and understand the play to help save America. Yeah, you could, you could have fooled me. <laughs> it certainly seems like one to me from my perspective. But yeah, yeah but uh, well, great. Well, thank you. Uh, well stated. Thank you for joining us. Scott Sturgill, candidate Thanks. for United States Congress. Thank you, Roger. I appreciate it. And of course, he's running in District 7, Congressional District 7, which, as he shared with us, is a big part of Seminole County and a big part of Volusia County. Well, friends, we'll be right back on the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Please stay with us. Welcome back. Good to have you here for the Roger Franklin Williams Show. And now back to the studio. Here's Roger Franklin Williams. Welcome back to the Roger Franklin Williams Show, the program that's dedicated to protecting, preserving, and defending America's founding traditions of God, family, country. We're especially excited that you're joining us today on the program. It's another edition of our Roger Franklin Williams Show election 2022 series. And right now, in just a moment, we'll be joined by another candidate who will be on the ballot on August the 23rd, Judge Andrew Bain. He's a currently a sitting circuit judge. But right now, before we go to Judge Bain, of course, I want to remind you that Our program and all the programs you hear right here on the new AM 950 and FM 94.9, The Answer, are supported by our friends at Florida Door Solutions. And Florida Door Solutions supports our stations and our messages of patriotism and support for our free enterprise system. And, of course, I want to give a shout-out to our friend Dr. Patrick St. Germain and all the great people at St. Germain Chiropractic. Been voted best chiropractor well, once again. Now let's go to Judge Andrew Bain. And hello, Judge Bain. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all for having me on. 
You know, why don't we just get right into it for you? As I, as I share with our listeners, you are currently a, a sitting judge, and you are yeah. um, seek, you know, seeking re-election. You will be on the ballot in this election. Can you tell us just a little bit about, um, you know, the time that you've served on the bench and what you what, um, what you want our listeners to know? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I'm an Orange County judge. I currently sit in the civil division of the Orange County Court. Uh, we handle um, anything under $30,000. Uh, landlord tenant cases, uh, small claims cases, which is, you know, you know, the things you see on Judge Joe Brown, the people's court, and kind of thing. Uh, we also handle misdemeanor criminal cases. And uh, in our Orange County, we're charged. And so that's all the things that we do on the bench. And I've been serving there for, I've been serving on the bench for two years after being appointed by the governor uh, in 2020. Very interesting. And, and can you talk about, you know, just your background before you were appointed? You know, what, what kind of practice you had and, and some things like that? Yeah, I was a prosecutor for seven years uh, with the state attorney's office here in the Orange Mountain County. And then um, I went to small school here downtown at 4 a.m. Um, before that, I had a previous life um, in finance uh, with Merrill Lynch. And then before that, I played in the NFL and I. Went to the University of Miami where I played football there and um, my bachelor's degree there. Yeah, very interesting background. And can you share what led you to uh, to to eventually want to go to law school and and become an attorney? Uh, while I was at the University of Miami, uh, it was the first time I ever met a lawyer. Uh, with no lawyers, there were no uh, professionals, no doctors, nobody to kind of look up to or mentor me, um, you know, to become you know, anything of that sort. So uh, when I got to the University of Miami, when you're a student-athlete, um, you don't have a lot of control of your schedule sometimes, a lot of times. So one of our academic advisors said, hey, you should sign up for this course and sign me up for a business law class. And that was the first time I ever met a lawyer, uh, the first time I... Really got really been really about the law that wasn't really negative, uh, something negative like somebody going to jail, somebody going to prison, or something like that. So uh, I loved it. I loved everything about the law. I loved every every minute of it um, because the law is something that it affects your life every day. You don't think about the food that is available to you, the, the water that you drink, um, everything that around you is governed by a regulation of law. Um, so like, that's why we're really a country of laws. So we, uh, it's something that really became really part of me. And then I didn't know what to do with it at the time. Um, it was about 2006. Uh, I was I had one of my teammates that was murdered um, outside of my house. And uh, after that, I was kind of I said I needed to do something. After football was over with, so law school sounded like a good thing. I mean, I mean, alternative. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us. And friends, we're speaking with Judge Andrew Bain. He's a sitting Orange County judge, and um, he's uh, seeking uh, re-election in in the election that's coming up on August the 23rd. You're listening to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Can you um, – thank you for sharing those great great insights about your your personal background. Can you – obviously, I suspect – you know, as you, you know, if, if you were at Miami, uh, playing for the Hurricanes in the football program, I'm, I suspect football and athletics have been a big part of your focus, you know, to, just to get to that point. Um, had you given much thought, 
you know, to the to uh, before you had the experiences you just shared with us, to what you were gonna, what kind of career you were gonna have af- after college and after football. Um, my father um, was my pastor growing up, so uh, he was always um, he was always interested in mental health and psychology and things like that. So I I have a psychology degree because of of him and you know all things like read his book, you know, the philosophy book or psychology book, or, you know, some kind of religious uh, teaching book. So he was kind of that kind of information I took in. So I was planning to be uh, a psychologist. Um, Probably something on the industrial and educational side, uh, but uh, kind of to the you know a different turn uh, where you know the law is introduced to my world. Very interesting. And can you, friends, we're speaking with Judge Andrew Bain, He's a sitting Orange County judge. He is on the ballot, uh, uh, seeking re-election to that position. And. Can you can you talk about just your you know um, yeah you know, as a sports fan myself you know, I'm curious about you know your 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 football background can you talk about um, you know, I, I suspect if you had the opportunity to play football uh, for the Miami Hurricanes you probably had other um, opportunities as well what what led you to choose uh, Miami to, to go to college and play football uh, it really came down to uh, two schools like you know like my recruiting was. Uh, just becoming just a little bit as crazy as it is right now. Um, you know, people get me in, you know, things like that. So when I came out of school, rivals were just starting up. And so the top two schools that I ended up in my top two lists were either University of Miami or Stanford. And I knew that my dad, like, he's like my number one fan uh, when it comes to sports. Like, I don't think he's like, really ever missed a game that I played in or something you know, crazy happened, and he had to miss a, a sport, a sporting event. But since I was a little kid, um, he's always been in my game. So I knew that if I went to California, he would never see me play. Uh, he probably only see me play once or twice in my whole career. Um, but so I stayed home and went to Miami and uh, went every home game and pretty much drive to almost every away game at that point. So that's how we really feel the deal for me. I'm not going to the Miami. Thank you for sharing, and, and I'd like to you know to follow that up. Uh, can you talk about you know how your various experiences you know before becoming a judge have uh, you know, may, might influence you know your work on the bench, and that's everything from you know being a college football player in an elite program to you know, being in the financial financial services industry, the finance industry, uh, to being a prosecutor. How, how how have those experiences you know? shaped your, your career on the bench at, at, sitting as a judge? Yeah, it's one of those things that I, I, I would say as a you know, diverse, you know, upbringings and diverse um, you know, professional lives and like, you know, diversity like in your personal life uh, always brings different types of understanding. Um, you're on the bench. Um, you're able to um, articulate certain messages to people so they understand what you're saying. And that's really a big part of what I do on the bench because um, the people in the people's court, which is county court, where a lot of people don't have attorneys, you have to be an effective communicator amongst uh, different types of people groups um, so that they understand what your expectations are for your orders, what your expectations are for the courtroom. Uh, it doesn't change the law, but it allows you to be able to communicate to that person what the law is and you know, where they stand and kind of what, you're, you know, what they are here for. So those, uh, those different 
kind of areas professionally and personally allow you to uh, be a more effective communicator. And it also allows you to have diverse conversations amongst your judges uh, because uh, judges, you, know, you don't, you can't go like go to your friends or lawyers like, hey, I have this case, I have this thing going on. Um, so what do I do about this? Have you, have you have any experience in this? Uh, so you have diversity amongst the judges. You can go talk to a judge like, well, I know that Judge Bain used to work in like your finance, and Judge Bain used to work in um, this from this area, or Judge Bain, you know, you know, had this experience before. So you know, you can always you know, have a sounding board of, um, so you can you know have effective rulings to be uh, fair and you know, have a great understanding about the cases in front of you. Well, thank you for sharing, and, and friends, we're speaking with Judge Andrew Bain. He's a currently sitting judge on the Orange County Court, uh, and he's also seeking re-election to that position. He will be on the ballot on August the 23rd. And uh, Judge Bain, before we go, anything else you'd like to share uh, with our listeners and you know, who, many of whom will be voting in that election? Uh, just you know, go out and express yourself, go out and vote, go out and uh, support the Chief Judge Bain uh, movement that's going on, uh, and we're here for uh, the law, for the people, uh, and you know, here for to serve you all, all my people in Orange County. Well, thank you very much. Best wishes to you, and thank you for joining us on the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Uh, thank you. Thank you all for having me. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed the program today. We've had uh, kind of a, long, a great, great um, lineup of candidates on the program today, uh, and um, really hope hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, of course, uh, one you know, two candidates uh, seeking a you know, position of, of judge, county judge. Uh, Judge Andrew Bain, who's currently a judge uh, for Orange County, Eric Swink, who's seeking the position of Seminole County Judge, Christine Moore, an Orange County Commissioner, seeking re-election to that position, and Scott Sturgill, candidate for United States Congress in the hotly contested race, the hotly contested Republican primary in Congressional District 7, which is pretty much all of Seminole County and a big part of Volusia County. Give a shout-out to our producer Jeff and thank you for the guests on our program today and friends hope that you'll have a, a wonderful day three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary Flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal Flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 